love that passage in Hebrews. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now open your Bibles this morning to the book of Jeremiah, the ninth chapter. It never ceases to amaze me that Brother Ed, 90% of the time, doesn't know what I'm going to preach on on Sunday morning. Because I don't know what I'm going to preach on on Sunday morning. But two of the songs today absolutely is the heart of my message. And that is this, knowing God, how to know God, and the need to know God in an intimate and a personal way. Really, for the last three weeks, the Lord has really been stirring my spirit about knowing, knowing him and enjoying his presence. It was two weeks ago that I took where Jesus said, if any man hears these sayings of mine and does them, he's a wise man that builds his house on a rock. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. And I talked about how that when we know Jesus and we hear his word and we build our lives on the word of God, whenever the storms come, we are ready because we know him and we let his word be a vital part of our life. And then last Sunday, I talked about the fact of, of just longing to be with Jesus, about being thirsty, thirsty for the presence of God. John chapter 7 said, if any man thirst, Jesus said, let him come to me and drink. Out of his innermost being shall flow a river of living water. It's about knowing God, not knowing about him, but knowing him. It's about knowing Jesus. It's not knowing about him, but knowing Jesus. And today, I want to, the Bible, he tells us, the Lord says, rejoice in the fact <coughs> that you can know me. Just rejoice in that fact. Look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. An awesome passage. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. God's all for wisdom, and I'm all for wisdom. But he says, don't, don't trust in your wisdom. Don't let that be the anchor of your soul. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. I'm all for people being strong and being mighty in mind, body, and soul. But he says, let me just say this to you. Don't you anchor your soul. Don't you trust, your, don't you trust in your own might. It says, don't glory in your wisdom, and don't glory in your might. And look at the next part of that verse. And nor let the rich man glory in his riches. He said, hey, it's, it's wonderful when God blesses an individual, and they are financially blessed, where they can in turn glorify God and bless others. But he's saying, listen here, don't you, don't you trust in your wisdom? And, and as wise as you may be, don't you trust in your might? And don't you trust in your riches. Don't do that. Well, okay, Lord, what am I to trust in? Would you look at the next verse? Well, this is awesome. But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. God said, what you need to glory in is that you understand and that you know me. Man, what a verse. Knowing God, that you understand and know me, that I am the Lord. And I mean, the word Lord there means I'm in control. I'm the Lord of this universe. God did not wind this universe up like a clock 
and walk away and leave it for it to run down. No, he is still Jehovah, and at his right hand is the Lord Jesus Christ, and God Almighty is sovereign, and he is in control. And we need to understand that. And he said, now, it's all right to be wise. It's all right to have might. It's all right to, to have wealth. It's all right, but don't trust in it. The only thing that you'll be secure in is that you know me. You know me, the true and living God, who created you from the dust of the ground and breathed in you, your nostrils, the breath of life. What's important is that you know me, that I am your creator, and I am the one who sent my son to be your redeemer, and that one day you will stand before me as your judge. He said, you glory in this, that you understand and know me, that I am the Lord. And he goes on and says, that you understand and know me, that I am the Lord. And he talks about his what he's doing. He says, I'm exercising loving kindness. What's God doing in the earth? He's showing his mercy. He's showing his, this is the age of mercy. This is the day of the mercy of God. When God does not give us what we deserve. But through Jesus Christ, he gives us what we don't deserve. But one day we'll go from the day of mercy to the day of judgment. But he says, you need to know that I, at this moment I am exercising in the earth loving kindness or mercy. And then he goes on and says that I'm, that I'm exercising loving kindness, judgment. He said, even now I'm exercising judgment in the earth and righteousness. God said, I'm at work in this world, bestowing my mercy, judging and, and exercising righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, saith the Lord. I want us to think about how in the world do you get to know God? He said, you just glory in this, that you know me and that you understand who I am and you understand what I am doing in the earth. You know, these, ver these words were written by Jeremiah, great prophet of God. You say, Brother Fred, was Jeremiah really a great prophet? Because the people rejected his words. They, they ridiculed him. One time he just wanted to run away from them. Well, I, I'm going to tell you what kind of prophet he was. When Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, you know who was up there? John the Baptist, Elijah, or, and I know Jeremiah was there. But listen to what it says. Jesus on one occasion in Matthew said, well, whom do men say that I am? Some said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. And by the way, Jesus, some people say you're Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah brought his message to a rebellious people. The tragedy is he had a message of hope. He had a message that would lead these people to a, a quality of life that only God could give. But he brought his message to a rebellious and wicked people. Look in chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And, and you see that Jeremiah was weeping. He was weeping over, over Judah. He was weeping over Israel because they were not turning to God. They were turning away from God. In verse 1 he says, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He said, Oh, I, my heart is broken, and I'm weeping for the people of God. I'm weeping 
for the people of Israel. He said, in fact, I'd just like to run away from them. I'd just like to get out of this mess. Look in verse 2. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place from tra- for travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them. For they are all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. And then verse 3 talks about how he was speaking and ministering and pouring his heart out to a rebellious people. He said, and like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. Now get this. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth. They proceed from evil to evil and do not know me, saith the Lord. No wonder Jeremiah's heart was broken. No wonder he was shedding tears because they were going from evil to evil and they did not know God. You say, Brother Fred, how bad was it? Look over in verse 13. This was Jeremiah's congregation. (laughs) These were the people he pled with and preached to day after day. In verse 13 it says, And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and they have not obeyed my voice, nor walked in it, but they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts. He said, They have not listened to me. They have not listened to my word. They have not obeyed my commandments. They are following the dictates of their own heart. After the Baals, which their father taught them. So Jeremiah, man, his message of knowing God was to a rebellious and wicked people who were not responding. You know, in fact, he said, okay, because you won't listen to God. He said, judgment is coming. Look at verse 7 of chapter 9. Therefore saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will refine them and try them. How should I deal with the daughter of my people? And then he says in verse 8, Shall I not punish them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on them for these things? God, Jeremiah said, listen, you've turned away from God. And because of that, you're causing the judgment of God to come upon you. God cannot overlook it. He's exercising loving kindness, his mercy in the earth. But he's also exercising judgment. And he's exercising righteousness. But then... This is the one that really broke my heart. What was the result of Israel, God's people, Judah? What was the result of them being a rebellious and wicked people? What was was it that broke Jeremiah's heart? Look at verse 21. Boy, if this doesn't describe our day. Death has come through our windows, has entered our palaces to kill off the children. What in the world was he talking about? He had talked about how they were rebellious, how they were following the dictates of their own heart and were worshiping false gods. And the end result was death came through the windows and killed their children. Do you realize that in, since Roe versus Wade, there have been 50 million children aborted in this country? 50 million Would you say that death has entered through our windows and killed off our children? And then look at the rest of it. And this disturbed me also. It says here, and for death has come through our windows, has entered our palace to kill off the children, no longer to be outside. And look at the next verse. And young men no longer are in the streets. Did you know we have enough young men in prison in Alabama 
to make up one of the largest communities or cities in this state. Have you noticed on the news how they seem to be getting younger and younger when they commit heinous crimes and are soon put away and they no longer are in the streets? That was a result of, of, of a nation, of a people that were rebellious and would not listen to God and went their own way and followed the dictates of their heart and ignored the moral law of God and ignored the precepts of God and death entered to their windows and killed their children and the young men were no longer in the streets. Well, Jeremiah comes up with an answer. He says, listen, don't you trust in your own wisdom in a difficult day, in a difficult day, in a treacherous time, when things all around us are not good and seem to be getting worse. He said, let me tell you what you do. Don't trust in your own wisdom. Don't trust in your own might. Don't trust in your own wealth. But glory in this, that you know and understand me, that I am God. I am the Lord. And I do what's right in the earth. You know, it hit me. You know what Jeremiah did in the first part of those verses? He spoke against America's favorite religion. He says, now don't let the wise man trust in his might. Don't let the mighty man trust, uh, the wise man trust in his wisdom. Don't let the mighty man trust in his might. And don't let the rich man trust in his riches. Do you, you know what he did? He squarely struck a blow to America's favorite religion. You say, well, Brother Fred, what is America's favorite religion? Is it Methodist? Is it Presbyterian? Is it Baptist? Is it Pentecostal? Is it Catholic? Is it Lutheran? What is America's favorite religion? Let me tell you what it is. It's called humanism. Oh, yeah. There are people who go to the Methodist church that are humanist. There are people that go to the Baptist church. They don't know it, but they're humanists. Every, it, it, it pervades every denomination. It pervades every fabric of society. Humanist Manifesto 1 and Humanist Manifesto 2 basically said, now are you listening to this? It, it, I read these words with my own. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. It also said in Humanist Manifesto 1 and 2, hopes of salvation and heaven are illusory and are an opiate and deceive the people. Do you know what America's favorite religion is? It's humanism. They're trusting in their own wisdom. We've never had more knowledge, but we've never had less wisdom. Oh, it's amazing, the knowledge that we have. I mean, I'm telling you, I never cease to be amazed at what God put in this universe that man has discovered. Hey, by the way, there's not one thing in this universe that God didn't put here. Man just discovered it. God gave him the knowledge to discover it. But you know what we're doing today? We're trusting in our wisdom. That's humanism. Are you trusting in your wisdom? Is that, I mean, thank God if you have knowledge. But listen, you, you better not anchor your soul in your wisdom because, you know, only God is all wise. And, 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 and I'm just saying you, you would be foolish to, to let wisdom dictate the direction of your life. He said, don't do that. But I promise you, we're so smart and so intellectual. They said, we don't need God. 
It's hard to believe that when I went to college in 1957, man, now that was a, that was a century ago, 1957. Did you know that the, the, the message of, of University of South Carolina was one of humanism? Oh, yeah, it's humanism. Professor after professor, humanism. They, they wouldn't even acknowledge God. They wouldn't even call his name. We're all the product of evolution. I'm telling you, it was humanism back then. Can you imagine what it is today in our, on our universities? How? They're not willing to acknowledge God as the source of all things. Because if you not acknowledge God, it means you're accountable to God. And so you, and not to be accountable to God, you have to deny God exists and say man is his own God. We're our own God. And that is exactly where the majority of the people in this nation are. We're looking to men to solve our problems and to resolve the difficulties. I'll tell you, it is foolish, absolutely foolish, for us to trust in our own wisdom. He says, don't let the mighty man trust in his might. You know, listen, we, 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 we have been the strongest nation in the world. We have been the strongest, wealthiest nation in the world in the past. But you know, we, we, we trust in our might. And you know, let me tell you what can happen to you individually. Do you look to God for the direction of your life? Or do you look to your own wisdom? Now, now think about that a minute. Do you look to Jesus for the direction of your life? Or do you look to your own wisdom? Well, if you look to your own wisdom, you're humanist. Let me ask you this. Do you look to God for the strength to live your life? Do you look to God for the power to be the person you ought to be? Do you look to God as the one, to Jesus, as the one that can solve your problems? You know, oh no, I can do it myself, Brother Fred. I've got the ability. I'm independent. I'm self-sufficient. I, I, I've got the might to handle my problems. Who needs God? You don't say that, but you live like you don't need Him. Guess what you are? You're a humanist. If you look to your own wisdom and your own might to, be, to, to direct your life and to empower you to live, you're a humanist. That's exactly what you are. You say, but Brother Fred, but I'm telling you it's true. If we're not looking to him, if we're not looking to Jesus, then we're looking to ourselves. And then, of course, he says, don't trust in your own riches. Well, there's a verse that really became real to us back uh, a few years ago, about five years ago, when the, when the housing industry crashed and the stock market and all that went down. And it's up now. And we're saying, boy, this is, this is it. I tell you what, what goes up sometimes goes back down. Don't, don't, don't forget that. Just don't forget that. But we say, listen, really, there are not many Americans now that are trusting in the wealth of this nation. When you owe 20, almost $20 trillion, I, I don't think you're in good shape financially. Do you? I don't think you're solvent. I really don't. He said, don't let the rich man trust in his riches. Don't do that. You know what the Bible says in Timothy? The love of money not money. The love of money is the root of all evil. How true it is. What's the root of dr the drug trafficking? Money. What's the dr dr root of, of, of fraud and, and, and dishonesty in government and in business? What's the root of it? The love of money. It is interesting but tragic. That the last three governors of Illinois, uh, of Michigan, no, it's Illinois, are in prison because of fraud. The last three governors, they need to have a convention in the prison. The last three governors 
of Illinois are in prison because of fraud. The leaders. Listen, he said, don't trust in your own riches. He said, the Bible, Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, 17, he says, warn the rich not to trust in their uncertain riches, but in the living God who gave them all things richly to enjoy. He said, you trust in God. And so Jeremiah just hit it right on the head when he said, don't trust in your wisdom. Don't trust in your own might. Don't trust in your own wealth. He, he, he nailed America's religion of humanism and said, if you do that, if you do that, you'll miss what life is all about. But then he says that what I love. But glory in this, that you understand and know me. That you understand and know me. Oh, you know the passion of our heart? It ought to be the Lord to, to say this. Jesus, God, I, I want to know you in such a way. I don't want to know about you, Lord. I don't want to know about the histor historical God or the historical Jesus. That's fine. But I, I, I want to know you. you. You said that if I was a Christian, I could call you Father. My Father who art in heaven. God, I, I, I want to know you. I don't want to know about you. Lord, I, I want to know your wisdom. Lord, would you, would you give me your wisdom? And, and I, I want to know your strength, Lord. I don't want to try to find my strength in myself. I don't want to. Because uh, the Bible says that, that, that we're all weak. Spiritually and morally. And he said, I, I don't want to trust in, in my possessions. I don't want to do. Lord, I want to know you as my wisdom. And I want to know you, Jesus, as my strength. And I want to know you as the one who makes me secure and not how much money I've got in the bank. Oh, listen. He said, glory in this, that you know and understand me, that I am the Lord. Last week I said we needed a passion. We need to be thirsty for God. Thirsty to know him. And thirsty for that river of living water to pour out of our lives. And I am saying to you, we need to get a passion to know God. That's what we need. To know, know Him. And you can get to know Him. Oh yes, He's not hiding from you. Well, God's hiding from me, and I can't know Him. Oh no, He's not. He's open to you. He wants to reveal Himself to you. He wants to become personal and intimate with you. But you see, you've got to, get, you've got to have a passion and a heart to get to know God. And the only way you can do that is to spend time with him. Spend time with him. And, and let him know your desire to know him and his wisdom and his strength and his security. You have to spend time with him. And, and I'll tell you, that's the hardest thing to do in this culture because uh, we, we, we just are absolutely uh, overrun with uh, busyness. And if it's not busyness, it's, it's something that's really not important. You know, if you spent a third of the time getting to know God, you spent on your cell phone, you'd probably be one of the most godly people in America. I think some of it's, uh, cell phone's grown to some of your ear. I mean, it's just grown to your ear. What scares me to death is I see somebody riding right behind me, and they're talking on the phone. I said, oh, my soul, they don't even know where they are. You say, how do you know that, Brother Fred? Because I got on the phone one time and didn't, didn't even realize when I got home. Didn't remember the intersections or anything. I just was on the phone. 
One time I was talking with Herb on the cell phone and had a wreck. I'm telling you, that's the truth. You remember when it was, Herb. But listen, you know what you have time for? What's important to you? I can make time for what's important. So, you get in the Word of God. You get in the Word of God. And, and the Word of God is not an end in itself. You can know the Bible but not know God. You can know the Scripture but not know God. The purpose of the Bible is to bring us to God. The purpose of the Bible is to bring us to an intimate relationship with God, our Father. The purpose of the Word of God is to get us to know Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's bringing us to a person. See, that was the Pharisees' problem. They made a God out of the Bible. That's not what it's all about. The Bible is our guide and our direction. But the purpose of the Bible is to bring us to the God of the Bible. And to bring us to Jesus. So that we'll say, Lord, I want my wisdom to come from you. And I want my strength to come from you. And I want my security to come from you, O oh God. And yet you can. See, God wants you to know him. That's what he says. Tell them to glorify in the fact that he understands and knows me. That's what you trust in. That I am the Lord. And I'm exercising mercy in the earth. I'm merciful. Thank God for forgiveness. Thank God for the blood of Christ. Thank God that when we repent, we repent. And say, God, that's a sin. And I confess it as a sin. And I turn from it. Thank God when we repent. God is a God of mercy. Why can he be merciful? Because of the cross. Because Jesus took our sins and took our judgment. And all the mercy of God flows right through the cross of Jesus Christ to us. We can know God's mercy because of the cross. He says, I'm exercising loving kindness in the earth. He says, I'm exercising judgment in the earth. You ain't got to be real smart to know there's judgment in the earth. Oh, yes. Somebody says, well, God judge America. He's been judging America for about 20 years. We wonder why it's out of control. We wonder why what's, everything that's going on is going on. It's the judgment of God. That's exactly what it is. But, you know, we just keep going on our way. And we have short memories and we forget. How many times did God bless Israel and then Israel would disobey God and God would judge them and had to bring them back? How many times? But we don't learn from history. He says, I'm exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Hey, I was in a prayer meeting not long ago. And the thing that God burdened our hearts to pray about is this, that, that we need to hold up, the church does, a standard of righteousness in our nation. You see, everybody's doing what's wise in their, right in their own eyes. As it said in Jeremiah, they're following the dictates of their own heart. Can I tell you why? Why is there no, why do 65% of the American people not believe in moral absolutes? Now you think about that. They don't believe in moral absolutes. 65% of the people don't believe the Ten Commandments are moral absolutes. It's whether you want to or not. You know why? In the Humanist Manifesto it says, there's no right or wrong. The situation determines if it's right, and the situation determines if it's wrong. It's called situational ethics, and it's a whole thesis underlying the human, humanism. Hey, you don't have to worry about right or wrong. The situation determines whether it's right for you or wrong for you. And we've created an amoral society where there's just no morals. None whatsoever. 
What used to make people blush no longer makes people blush anymore. We've got, a, we've, got a, we've got accustomed to it. The Bible says he's, he's exercising righteousness in the earth. I, I want to close with just, just show you what it means to want to know God. Turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter, um, it's chapter 33, I think it is. Anyway, it's, it's in, in Exodus. I'll tell you what chapter it is in just a minute. Exodus 33, okay? And, and I want you to look at um, what, 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 what happens to Moses here. It's a progression. It's a progression. All right? Look at verse 12 of Exodus 33. Moses set out on a journey to know God. And he gets increasingly stronger about knowing God. Not about him, but knowing his mercy, his loving, his mercy, his judgment, and his righteousness. Knowing him to be his wisdom and his strength and his power. And knowing him in his presence. We look in verse 12 of Exodus 33. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you will not let me know who you're going to send with me. And there was about three million of them. He said, you, you're telling me to bring this crowd up, and, and I, you're not going to tell me who you're going to send with me. Yet you have said, God, you said, I know you by name, Moses, and you have found grace in my sight. See, God had been, just been communing with Moses, and Moses, after that burning bush experience, had gotten to know God, and God had used him to bring him out of Egypt. And, 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 and God says, Moses, I know you by name. And you have found grace in my sight. Mo- Moses said, good. Then, then, look, he, then, then he said, now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. Now wait a minute. So Lord, you know my name and you found grace. Show me your way that I might know you. Moses knew that his wisdom was not enough. His might was not enough. He didn't have enough wealth. He said, show me your way that I may know you. Now, friend, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing in your life. But, man, what a prayer to pray. God, in the midst of right where I am, would you show me your way that I might know you? Oh, Lord, show me your way. Show me your way that I might know you. And then he goes on and says, And consider this nation that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. Now, listen to what God says to Moses. But I I like this, and I'm going to claim it right now for myself, and I hope you'll claim it. And this is what God said to Moses. My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Whoo. Man, if you're a humanist and you're trusting in your own wisdom and your own might and your own wealth, you've got a problem. It's only the person who says, I want to know you, oh God. God says, I want to tell you something. My presence will go with you. The presence of God. It'll calm any storm. The presence of God. It'll bring peace to any heart. The presence of God will bring hope to any soul. In the presence of Jehovah. Oh, that song that we sing. He said, Moses, I know you want to know my way. 
He said, but I'm going to tell you something. My presence is going with you. Hallelujah. Listen, you don't matter. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're facing or what you're going through. It doesn't matter what's happening in this nation or happens in this nation in days to come. But if you know the presence of God and you know his presence, you know him personally. My presence is going with you. You're ready. You're ready. And then it goes on. And said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then verse 15, Moses said, if your presence is not going to go with us, then I'm not going. (laughs) That's a pretty good idea. He said, if you don't go, I ain't going. (laughs) He didn't use the word ain't, but he said he wasn't going. (laughs) For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us. The only way the the enemy is going to know that we found grace in you is that you go with us, Lord, and it's your presence in us and around us that makes the difference. It says, you, and your, you, you, you people and I are all the people upon whom the face of the earth. All right, now, then this is what the Lord said to Moses. Verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you have spoken. I'm going to go with you. You're going to live in my presence, Moses. I will go with you, and you have found grace in my sight, and I know your name. Then Moses took the next step. You know what he said? He went from asking God to show him his way and went from God saying, I'm going to give you my presence. Wherever you go, Moses, you're not going to be outside of my presence. It'll be my wisdom. It'll be my might. It'll be my resources. And you'll live in my presence. And you'll have rest when you're in the presence of God. But Moses got bolder. And he said in the next verse, he said, please show me your glory. He went from wanting to know God's way to knowing God's glory. And the glory of God is another way of saying the presence of God. He said, Lord, not only show, you my, my, show me your way, but I want you to show me your glory. I, I want to know your presence. But you know what God said to him? And look in verse 19. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Isn't that a great picture of God? Moses, you want to see my glory? I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. He said, Moses, I know you want to see my glory, but you can't see my face. Because no man can see my face and live. But now wait a minute. Over and over again it says in the Psalms. Seek the Lord. Seek his face. The the face of God turned toward you is always a picture of God's favor and grace and God's presence. But but he said no one can can see my face and live. Now that's a. So what he did he put hid Moses in a rock. And the glory of God passed by him. He said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. He said, here's a place by me, so stand in the rock. It shall be that while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of rock, cover you with my hand, and then I will take away my hand, and you'll see my back. Moses, you're not going to see my face. You'll see my back. Now, I'm going to say something, and I'm not stretching the scripture when I say this, and I'm through. No one, no one can see my face 
and live. But he tells us to seek his face. All right, I want you to listen. The priest in the Old Testament was so scared of seeing the glory of God when they went in the Holy of Holies. You know the story. They went in once a year. And they had a rope tied around their ankle so that if they died in the Holy of Holies, nobody could go in to get them. They had, the, the other priest would pull them out by a rope. So you know what the priest did? To cover his flesh. Now get this. To cover his flesh. Because no flesh can glory in God's presence. What he would do, he would prepare himself all day and all night. And they would keep him up all night. Talking to him lest he have a dream or something defile him. And so that when he went into the holy, place, holy of holies, there would be no flesh. But before he'd go in, he, he had a, some coals on a, a brass censer. And he put... Uh, 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 put uh, stuff on it that burned, incense, and he would stick it inside the veil and be sure the smoke, the smoke filled the Holy of Holies. And when he believed that the smoke was so full that God could not see him, or that he couldn't see God, rather, when he was sure that the Holy of Holies was so filled with smoke, then he would crawl under the veil, covered with the smoke, because he could not see God and live. And he would sprinkle the mercy seat seven times for the sins of the people with the blood of a goat. And then he would go back out. I wondered, why? Why the smoke? Because he couldn't see God's glory and live. No man could see God's glory and live. Now let me tell you something. I want you to think about the Bible says no flesh shall glory in his presence. You know how you're going to see the glory of God? Now this is pretty strong, but I'm going to tell you right now. You know how you're going to see the glory of God? You know how you experience the presence of God? You've got to die to yourself. Your flesh cannot go into the presence of God. You have to die to yourself. Your own wisdom. Your own might. Your own wealth. You have to die to yourself. You see, if flesh went into the presence of God, instant death. So, when we die to ourselves, it's called crucified with Christ. It's called deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. When we die to ourselves, then we can experience the presence of God and the glory of God because there's no flesh. We have died to ourselves. You know, I, I'll say this. When you are really dead in the place of death to yourself, that's when God's presence and God's glory can be so real to you, so real to you, you it'll be like Moses. God will give you rest. He will give you rest. But you've got to understand, you don't go in the presence of holy God in the flesh. You only go into the presence of holy God when flesh is dead and Jesus Christ is Lord and he's on the throne of your heart. In these days, listen to me, in these days, we need to be thirsty for God and his power. In these days, the passion needs to be, Lord, show me your way. No, Lord, show me your glory. And I want to live 
in your presence. For that's where rest is, in the presence of God.